Hello and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind. My name is Jane, and this is the podcast where I count down my top 40 most frequently rewatched movies in a 20-year period. Today, I will be discussing number 20 on my list, Miramax, Jane Starr's Productions, and Blessington Films Productions' 2004 fantasy comedy Ella Enchanted, directed by Tommy O'Haver, written by Laurie Craig, Karen McCullough, Kirsten Smith, Jennifer Heath, and Michelle J. Wolfe based on the book by Gail Carson Levine, starring Anne Hathaway and Hugh Dancy. Cursed with the gift of obedience in infancy, Ella, Anne Hathaway, becomes increasingly desperate to break free when her father remarries and her stepmother and stepsisters, played by Joanna Lumley, Lucy Punch, and Jennifer Higgum, take advantage of her forced compliance. Finally, she runs away to find and confront the fairy who cursed her and makes several friends along the way, including an elf named Slannon, Aidan McArdle, and of course, a prince named Charmont, Hugh Dancy. I didn't see this movie in theaters, but I did see it the year it came out. I watched it once in 2004, seven times in 2005, once in 2006, once in 2008, once in 2009, once in 2012, once in 2013, twice in 2014, once in 2015, once in 2016, twice in 2019, and once in 2021. The vast majority of those viewings were with my brother Quinn, so I asked him to join me and help explain why we love this movie so much. We had a very long, very fun conversation that I hope you will enjoy. Hi, Quinn. Hello. Welcome to the Rewatch Rewind. How exciting to be here. I feel famous. Yes, you've definitely been mentioned in many previous episodes. It's very fun for me as your sibling, having grown up with you and been in the background of a lot of these watches, I'm guessing, to hear some of your uh, takes as as a grown person <laughs> on on these movies and just kind of revisiting, you know, it takes me back to a time and place as well, hearing you talk about them. So this podcast is personally very fun for me. Have there been any movies that you hadn't seen? You know, none that immediately come to mind. There's definitely movies I didn't watch nearly as much as you did. Like, I think there's a couple movies that I've heard your, your, you explaining on the podcast your affinity for them is kind of the first time I've heard like your insights and like all the the nuances that you notice about each of the movies. But no, I'm pretty sure I've been familiar with all of the movies that you've talked about. Like Adam's Rib, like I maybe never watched it all the way from start to finish, but I've certainly seen the like a sound part <laughs> and the the highlight uh, parts of the movie that you noted in the podcast. Yeah, because I think Rosemary's told me there's a couple that she was not sure that she'd seen. Okay, it was news to me that everyone hated bringing up Baby. <laughs> I think I probably did at some point know that and then just like forgot over time. Yeah, but... I feel like the rest of the family would never watch it with us. Well, no, and I didn't, I I completely didn't realize that. that I It always stuck out to me as one of my favorite movies of that time and era. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I was ever old enough when I watched it to really question the like logistics of it or like the premise. <laughs> So, but I always loved bringing up Baby. I thought it was funny. And I think that it's funny that people were so irritated with Catherine Hepburn because I think she's hilarious in the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, so I did remember, like, I almost was like, oh yeah, everyone I know hates this movie. I was like, oh no, Quinn likes this movie. Well, I'm glad to get the <laughs> shout out. I really didn't realize it was a controversial <laughs> stance that I had. Yes, well, I know a lot of, like, 
old movie fans that I've met online were telling me like, oh yeah, I, I love bringing up babies. So it's not just us, but yeah, it definitely, you talked about its reputation as being kind of like a standout screwball comedy. I think that definitely makes sense. I yeah. think that it doesn't get screwier than bringing up babies. <laughs> yeah, it, it is the screwball comedy. Yeah. So as far as the movie we're talking about today, though, I <laughs> made think... many decades later. <laughs> yes. I think that that's one that we definitely fell in love with together that like a lot of the movies I've talked about so far like specific to me watching and then you would kind of watch them with me but I think with Ella Enchanted we watched it together and grew to love it together so that's why I wanted to have you on for this episode well yeah I definitely think that like looking at your list and like thinking about like oh what are some of the reasons why they ended up here like Ella Enchanted I feel responsible for (laughs) in ways that I might not feel responsible for other movies on this list. Well, I think what's important for our listeners to understand is that when you were younger, like you're quite a bit younger than me. And when you were little, you really liked to like pick a movie and watch it a bunch, like really close together. Is that fair? Oh, yes. I had phase movies for sure. Like it was, I can think of particular movies that I would watch all the time and I could never tell you the reason why I stopped watching any of these movies but there would be a period of time that I would just get really hot with a certain movie and that would be all I wanted to watch and then I guess I would just get over it (laughs) yes and I think that Ella Enchanted is the only one of those that has made it onto my list yes I would say that's fair and I Ella Enchanted was for sure one of those movies and I would actually say one of the things I for sure wanted to talk about today was the soundtrack for Ella Enchanted I would say is has been a pillar of my music appreciation over the years and like that soundtrack is actually very good and I think introduced me to a lot of like older songs like classic songs that I otherwise wouldn't have known that I think was important in my developing a music taste as well. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of covers of really famous songs. It's kind of weird that they chose to go that direction with like this fairy tale story, like that they did more like rock songs, but it works really well. It was just kind of an odd choice when you like read the book. You don't necessarily think like, oh, this would be perfect to have like a queen song. Well, yeah, and I was actually thinking about you had mentioned fans of the book Ella Enchanted that the movie is adapted from tend to be pretty disappointed with Mm. this adaptation. And I agree that it's a pretty poor representation of the book. And I guess I've sort of reimagined the movie as more just like another like retelling of Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And and I guess like kind of with Ella enchanted flavor to it. Like there's a lot of the plot points that like kind of the core characterizations of some of the characters are borrowed from Ella Enchanted. But yeah, I mean I think there's so many adaptations of fairy tales out there. And like I think that it's a very fun and ultimately like kind of visionary choice that they went with like sort of this like 70s rock theme for the soundtrack that sort of like 
didn't really have any other connection to the story, but just those were the songs that they went with. And I do know that, like, specifically with Somebody to Love, which I think is kind of the key musical moment in the movie, that was really sort of driven from, like, I guess Tommy O'Haver was working with Anne Hathaway on some kind of, like, more traditional, like, folksy fairy tale song, and it didn't suit her voice as well as Somebody to Love. So I feel like... It was also very driven by, like, who were the people making the movie and what their tastes were, which is, I also think, probably why it works, because it was driven from an organic place. Yeah, definitely. And I think that casting Anne Hathaway and then, like, using her, because, like, at that point, she was mostly known for Princess Diaries, which I guess she still is known for Princess Diaries, but, like, kind of taking that sort of flavor of princess of, like, I guess it's not really, like, a modern story Ella Enchanted because it's sort of set in this made up fairy tale-ish place but like definitely has like modern sensibilities that I think that like putting I mean Anne Hathaway has also done period work that's been good I mean she won an Oscar but like I think that taking her like personality and more modern sensibilities and putting it into this fairy tale thing worked really well. And I think that if they had tried too hard, like again, like recognizing that that song didn't fit her voice and like tried too hard to push her in a different direction, I don't think the movie would have worked. Oh yes, Anne Hathaway is very much allowed to be Anne Hathaway yeah. in this movie. And it's fantastic. I think one of my biggest takeaways from this movie in watching it relatively recently in preparation for this conversation <laughs> was just how essential I feel it is in the Anne Hathaway story. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you see her, I think, debuting in a lot of people's eyes. I think she was in a movie or two before Princess Diaries. Or was that her debut? I think it might have been her debut. And I feel like you have... Definitely a star is born moment with Princess Diaries and she really I think emerged as someone to watch and as a a star that could like hold their own with Julie Andrews and, and sort of have this kind of fun relatable charm like I do see sort of like the Emma Stone and Jennifer Lawrence's that come after really sort of taking something from the Anne Hathaway school of being a a young it girl actress And I feel like it was Ella Enchanted that really, I think the singing particularly, introduced this new layer to her talent, you know, circle. And now all of a sudden Anne Hathaway can be in musicals and she's very good at singing. And I just think that it was a very important stepping stone to her becoming a superstar. And I mean, she won the Oscar for a musical. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I can see, you know, maybe she would have ended up in Les Mis regardless of Ella Enchanted. But I do think this movie really put her on the map. And it's funny because I don't think it's a like particularly well-regarded movie (laughs) in any sort of circles. But I'd have to think that it had some really important impacts on Anne Hathaway's career following. Oh, yeah, definitely. So had you read the book before seeing the movie? Do you remember? I actually, I don't remember. But if I had to guess, I would say I saw the movie first. And I think you knew the book and so were able to like give some context when I would see it early and then I did eventually read the book and like it it has been a long time since I've read the book though so I cannot 
really recall what is different about the movie and the books Yeah, I haven't read the book in a long time. I had read the book definitely before I saw the movie and was kind of like, I feel like the book was different than this. But like, I mean, the basic premise is the same, but it's different to the point that I like, like you said, I kind of consider them two different things. And I can definitely see why fans of the book would think that the movie was a bad adaptation. But at the same time, it's like, it's fun. They did their own thing with it. And well, and Ella Enchanted is an adaptation right. too, which I think it, for me is what makes it work. And like, I have been thinking in a lot of like media that I've seen recently with elements of the Cinderella story in it of like, what are some of the things I like about each retelling and like I, I I texted you out of the blue when I was watching Into the Woods <laughs> randomly and I was like I think the Cinderella in Into the Woods is my favorite all-time Cinderella so like I did also when I watched it recently was kind of thinking about like what are my favorite interpretations of the Cinderella story like in Ella Enchanted and what are some of the things that I think work better in other retellings yeah. it's a story that is just very familiar at this point yeah it's been told and retold time and time again and I I know you haven't listened to the Enchanted episode yet, but we talked about Cinderella quite a bit in that episode too, because it's sort of like the fairy tale. And I think it's so interesting in Ella Enchanted that they added this layer of her being cursed. And it's not just that she has a really mean stepmother and stepsisters, but it's like literally they could order her not to leave and she would not be able to leave. Yeah, the curse is awful. Yeah. And I do think Cinderella, in all tellings of the story, is someone who is abused. And right. I think that that is a very important facet of the story. And I think you and I have talked a lot about how there's a lot of like dismissal of Cinderella as a character in many iterations of just like being this damsel, like this bad representation of, you know, femininity and, mm -hmm. you know, just waiting around for a man. But I think that the curse really illuminates just some of the cruelty that I think Cinderella in all versions of the story experiences. Right. But it's they almost don't really emphasize the chores and like the, the working in the cinder part of Cinderella. And they even drop that from her name. It's, it's less about the labor that she's expected to do and more just that this curse really defines all aspects of her life and turns even people that are trying to help her against her. And yeah, it's a terrible, terrible curse. And I think that it's a very lighthearted movie, but it's very dark yeah. what she has to go through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it also, they do a good job of showing her sort of fighting the curse. And again, like you said, there's this perception that Cinderella is sort of a, a weaker, more passive character, but she really has always been, you know, very strong in being able to break away from her horrible situation. And I think they show Ella really doing everything she can to fight the curse and be like, okay, I'm gonna do what you told me, but I'm gonna do like my own version of it. Like I'm gonna try and find loopholes in these orders so that I don't have to actually be under your thumb. And yeah, I, I just, I think that's very well done. Yeah. From a narrative perspective, it's a really powerful way to empower the character mm -hmm. of, of Ella and make her, I think, have people see more of themselves in her too, by giving her something to really fight against and be subversive against. Yeah. And I think that that, I mean, it drives the plot of the movie. It's, it's a good, a good narrative tool. Yeah. And then there's the whole thing about 
that she's trying to fight for the rights of like elves and giants and other types of mystical beings who have been subjugated by the government. And I think that there's a little bit of an element of like sort of a savior complex in some of what she does, but I think that ultimately she feels a kinship with these people that are being forced to do things against their will because she's literally being forced to do things against her will all the time. When people tell her to do stuff, she has to do it. And I think that that gives her a lot of empathy for like giants being forced to do farm labor and elves being forced to sing and dance. And I think they do a good job of showing that in the story that like she feels like she kind of understands some of what they're going through. And that's part of why she feels so strongly about trying to help them. Yeah, yeah, I think that it's also, I would love to see sort of the same premise of this story exists now and kind of retold now that we know a little bit more about how to be maybe a better ally or to sort of be a little bit more inclusive and less performative. Because I do think, you know, in watching it recently, there were some things Ella said and did that I was like, Ooh, I don't know about that as a, you know, good activism, like thinking specifically about how when her and Prince Char return to Lamia, which is where the palace is, you know, where the prince is there, he clearly has some kind of status and they're with an elf companion, their elf friend Slannon. And like, they just, he gets thrown out of the, the palace and they stand there and don't seem to like do anything to try to stop it. It's like, okay, well, we need to like yeah. act upon our convictions. So yeah, there's little things like that. And also like when, when the Slan and the elf is trying to talk to Prince Charmont about working with his uncle to maybe allow elves to have other careers than being performers or entertainers because he wants to be a lawyer. And he's saying, well, can you petition? your uncle the literal king for me to be a lawyer and he's just like ah, I can't do that <laughs> that would be weird <laughs> simply isn't done and so those are the types of things where I the movie does let me down a little bit because I want to see you know some real advocacy and allyship but I do think that you make such a good point about Ella feeling a kindred spirit to these marginalized peoples and really having that empathy and speaking up and saying something. I think that that is very clear throughout the movie. And that is what allows her to be successful, ultimately, is these relationships that she's built, or that she has built through empathy and through, you know, walking in people's shoes and hearing their stories and listening to them. So I think that there is a really beautiful message of, of caring for the marginalized and advocating throughout the movie. Yeah. And I do think that there's, they show that Prince Char, at least, they show him as very, like, privileged and ignorant initially, and that he, like, again, he definitely could do more, but I'm thinking about, like, the scene when he listens to the giant leader, and, like, he's actually like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how bad things were, I'm gonna try and make things better, and... Again, I don't know what he actually does, but he does become king, presumably at the end after his uncle dies. <laughs> so hopefully he does. He, he does sing Elton John. <laughs> that we do know. Yes. So, I mean, obviously there's only one step between sing Elton John and free the marginalized people. So He's on the right path. Yeah. Yes. So again, yes, you're right. It definitely could do more. 
but I also think that they have some good points. There's some almost there moments, I think. Oh, yeah. And in, in thinking about the times, like, I think that those, some of those interactions and conversations were like stepping stones to, I think, more fruitful ways to interact in those spaces and in those conversations. But it definitely, you know, I, I think that's a very presentist mindset to even look at some of those conversations critically because. You know, at that time, those were conversations that were the most tolerant things got. So, you know, yeah. it's definitely you have to make allowances for differences in, in time. And I do have to say, I think talking about Prince Charmant as a character, I think he is one of the better, more developed Prince characters that you get in one of these Ella Enchanted Cinderella retellings and I think Hugh Dancy really played like I think all of the acting in this movie is really phenomenal I think that's a headline for me is that it's a very well acted movie even though it's probably objectively pretty bad the script left something to be desired but the actors did the best they could well yeah okay let's just dive into it because I think that there is no better argument for there are no small parts than this movie because every single one of the actors in this movie like nails and I don't mean like this in a casual like nails their role like every performance I can think of like one of my favorites to just like think about is Minnie Driver in Mm -hmm. like as Mandy who is like the fairy kind of governess of Ella and like she's not a very powerful fairy so she's not that helpful in terms of her magical skill abilities but like she's kind of an ally to Ella in her abusive home and like plays a role throughout the story very minimal and like the character of Mandy I think I remember being pretty important in the Ella Enchanted book and like they really I think the writers really stripped this character of like any kind of like notable personality but Minnie Driver was just like nah not my part and she just like finds these like perfect comedic moments and it's like she has like one line in a scene and just like is so in character the whole time and is just like hysterical completely matches like the attitude of just being like a little like sassy and over it and I'm like that's just like one of the very bit parts like you've got like the the I don't remember her name but the actress who plays Olive who's just like deranged and like all the like kleptomaniac stuff and she's just like like the whole time completely in character Joanna Lumley is there like serving evil stepmother like she is not letting a moment go by without just like commanding the scene Vivica A. Fox like comes in and does her like flashy sassy little like unhelpful (laughs) cutaway scenes that are like again all of these roles are pretty insignificant don't have a lot of screen time don't have much to work with terrible script and like these actresses are just like this is the best role I've ever played in my life it's so much fun it's like you talked a couple podcasts ago about your favorite movies to watch being like ones where the actors are clearly having a good time. And, like, I just feel like, you know, Anne Hathaway gives a fantastic performance and is committed and plays all the emotional highs and lows. She has the most terrible lines to say, and she just, like, gets through it like a professional. Hugh Dancy is, like, also having a good time and is, like, appropriately, like, kind of, like, charming and aloof. And, like, Slannon is memorable. Like, he's got that, like you know, conviction and he has some very like silly like physical comedy moments as well. And then you've got like Jim who's on Downton Abbey, like playing this like 
ogre who like has these dramatic cutaways while he's trying to eat people like just great performances all around yeah i agree i think that you're right that is a big part of why i enjoy this movie is that it's very apparent that everybody was just having fun and you get that especially with the big dance number at the end which is just kind of random and like why are they singing don't go breaking my heart at a wedding like <laughs> oh my gosh it's so it's fun though it's just, like yeah. i i've never questioned like it's a weird song choice but i'm just that is one of the most joyful perfect finales to a movie that I've ever seen like where everyone gets a little bit of something to do you like get that fun like end credits here's everyone's final bow and it's just like a ton of fun yeah it's just unfortunate that uh Lucy Punch is that her name oh yes she doesn't get to be in it well and I I just realized I didn't mention her (laughs) performance but I feel like it deserves its own subsection so Lucy Punch who plays Hattie the stepsister of Ella, the mean stepsister. I, that is my all time favorite interpretation of the evil stepsister character because Hattie is just like very impetuous, but she is dangerous and she like serves a role in the story that actually, you know, like her ratting out Ella is what leads to some of the highest stakes in the story eventually. So I do feel like so often the stepsisters are really just like bit characters that don't really have much to do other than like be mean to Cinderella in like one or two scenes and I feel like she both took that sort of like superfluous frivolous quality that the stepsisters have and like did that but also like they did find a way to work her way into the plot she had a bit of menace and a bit of intelligence that she was able to use to try to achieve her own goals and then I think has a great like humiliating downfall and this is made all the better by the fact that Lucy Punch is like this was her dream role (laughs) to play a stepsister and be this character and like she is a stepsister in into the woods and in something else i'm pretty sure she's played cinderella's stepsister at least four times yes and like that was her dream role and this actress is just like having the best time being this character like it totally shows and i think that hattie is like a standout character and performance throughout the entire thing as well And um, it is a shame that she is not in the finale, but it's because of a deleted scene. And you can see the deleted scene if you get the DVD. Yes, which I think is a good way to transition into why we have seen this movie so many times. Because yes, it is fun. And yes, we would watch it a bunch probably normally anyway. But the reason that we have watched it quite this many times is because we had the DVD and we discovered how delightful the audio commentary is. And I didn't keep track of how many times I watched it with or without commentary, but I would say that more than half of the times I watched it were with commentary. Yes. I mean, I think it became... You could have almost kept track of this movie two different ways, like watching it in its original form and watching it with commentary, because I think you we went to either at different times when we were looking for different things in a viewing experience. Yeah, but I would I think that that even if I counted them separately, the commentary watching would be enough to be in my top. 40. You know, I I was gonna say I Jane mentioned this episode. You mentioned it to me, and I kept 
kept thinking you were going to schedule it and schedule it. And I'm like, wow, Ella Enchanted really made it far up this list because it it's is. been several weeks now. It's pretty deep in the rankings. Yeah, it's number 20. So it's in the top yeah, half. Yeah, top half. <laughs> I'm stunned. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so I don't remember how many times I'd seen it just normally before we discovered the commentary. But the commentary is just, it just adds a whole other level. And like, one of the things that you said earlier that made me think of it was when you were talking about Vivica A. Fox being fabulous. And like, Anne Hathaway mentions in the commentary the scene when uh, she's tied up to a tree and Lucinda shows up and she's like, oh, I'm going to help rescue you. And she's like, no, I want to be chained to this tree so I don't have to kill Char. And in the commentary, Anne Hathaway says that like Vivica A. Fox was so excited to do that scene. And she, Anne was kind of like, I don't know. I don't really like the lines. And Vivica's like, oh, I'm not going to say the lines, but we're going to have fun. <laughs> yes. One of an Ella Enchanted moment that I think about probably most of any other, although there's so many, is like right after she sets her free, Vivica A. Fox just standing in this like fabulous pose. And she's like, well, aren't I fabulous? While Ella is just like, this is terrible. This is not what I wanted. It's just like a fabulous moment of just like completely not taking in any of your surroundings. You're the main character. The story is you. Forget about everybody else. Forget whose movie it is. It's Vivica A. Fox. Yes. It's just, it's fabulous. But yes, the commentary, which it features Anne Hathaway and Hugh Dancy, so the two romantic leads of the movie, and Tommy O'Haver, who is the director. He's like, maybe the one you don't know, but if you don't know him, you should. <laughs> they just narrate the whole movie. And it is absolutely hysterical. Like, the tone that these three have together is great. It's as if they're the best friends. They probably haven't spoken to each other in a decade now, which makes me sad because in my mind, they hang out every day <laughs> and commentate on things. Like, they just have great chemistry. You can tell all three of them had a lot of fun making the movie and they're just like having a good time and you can really you feel like you were there with them like making this ridiculous movie that really wasn't that good but damn it they worked hard <laughs> yeah and it's like it's exactly what you would want from audio commentary i think which is like behind the scenes trivia because they have quite a bit of that and then just like some like tea like a little bit not a lot of tea but just like sort of like oh this didn't work very well or like I was actually really miserable this day or something like that well they talk about like little like spats they had with each other yeah. but it's like oh yeah we got in a fight about that that day I felt very this way like it's, yeah. it's all like it, they clearly happened like over a year ago yeah so there's that but then just also like each one of them has a different thing that they kind of focus on more, which is nice that like they're not just kind of saying the same thing because like Hugh Dancy talks a lot about like the stunt people and like he was friends with them. And then Anne Hathaway, this is another thing too, is like the commentary like really shows you how Anne Hathaway it was like set up to be super successful in Hollywood because she like remembers everybody's name Everybody who worked on this, like, even, like, all the, like, minor crew people. And she's just, like, yeah, this person did a great job. And she's like, seems very, like, gracious and, like, she actually cares but is also very good at networking. And I think that that's, like, exactly what you have to be to be, like, successful and someone that people well, like. And you really get a sense of Anne Hathaway's work ethic, too. Oh, which yeah. I think very much 
it comes through in the commentary where you just like get a sense of like all the things that she's thinking about. You hear a lot of the things that she's insecure about and just like all of the, the dynamics of being the Anne Hathaway of, of this movie, being a movie star, being the, the center of attention, both like in the internal world of the movie and in the external world of making the movie and in the even more external world of like marketing the movie and being the star. Right. Um, like it's a very actually like I think nuanced character study of Anne Hathaway listening to the commentary while being very fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just like, she never comes across as like, yes, I'm the star and I'm super famous and everyone should love me. It's kind of like, yes, I'm putting in the work and I like really thought about this character and I really wanted to do a good job in this movie. And I think everyone else worked really hard on it too. And like definitely giving credit where credit is due and not really being super like, I mean, obviously she talks about her own experiences, but not being super self-centered and like, like everyone should be talking about me right now. And I think all three of the commentators really had that posture because Anne Hathaway does a great job of like mentioning like the lighting in this scene is beautiful and done by this person. That tailor was a tailor who works in Ireland. Um, but I also think that like Hugh Dancy talks a lot about the stuntmen and like it's clear that he was like legitimately really good friends with them like during filming and would hang out with them. And like I think Tommy O'Haver also really like spotlights, you know, actors and other people that worked on the movie. Like I think you listen to it and it's like not like just them listing the credits, but it's like interesting seeing all of the different people that they each had to work with and spent time with and like how interesting it is just to put all these different people with all these different specialties in the same project together and just like stuntmen interacting with movie stars, interacting with directors, interacting with lighting designers, interacting with other actors. It's all just very interesting to hear about the interactions that went into making the movie. Yeah, it really highlights, which I think, I mean, is probably true of pretty much every movie, is that, like, just how interactive making a movie is and just, like, what a collaborative effort it is. And it's not just, like, oh, there's a few people involved and then there's, like, the background people that kind of help a little bit. It's, like, everybody really has to work together. And, like, that's probably obvious to people who have made movies before. But I think when you're in the audience, you might not necessarily realize... I mean, you see the long credits at the end, but just like how many people are involved in bringing this together and just how much they have to work together and trust each other to do their jobs. And I think that the Ella Enchanted commentary was kind of one of my first glimpses into just exactly what that looked like. And I think that that's part of what has like led me to be further interested in like, I'm not saying like I'm a filmmaker, but just sort of finding out a little bit more of the behind the scenes filmmaker stuff was really interesting to me without it feeling like, okay, now you're sitting down to a filmmaking 101 class. It, it's all very fun the way they present it, but just like it gets you thinking of like, wow, there's so many people who work on movies that you never see who are really crucial to the process. And I really like that aspect of it and that they're definitely sure to give people as much credit as they can and not, like you said, not listing the credits, just saying like, oh, this scene 
was really this person like really made it by doing their job kind of thing and yeah i really like that yeah and i think lots of dvd features have commentary on them and so we've talked a lot about this commentary and it kind of leads to the question like what do you get from this commentary that like maybe you don't get in other movies with commentary because i can't imagine there's another one on your list that like truly you couldn't think of without the commentary which Ella Enchanted I mean it's inextricable from why you've watched this movie so many times you wouldn't have watched this movie so many times without this commentary I think it has all of these great things we've been talking about how deep it is but it's also very funny yes and I feel like you know we quote and we've Mandela affected quotes from this commentary where like they don't actually say what we have ended up quoting years later but like we quote this commentary so much to each other like probably the most quotable moment is like there's a a point where Ella is supposed to in the movie like end up stopped in the middle of the road and there's like a horse-drawn carriage that's gonna come and roll her over and she can't move because she's been ordered to stay because the prince is going back to get the purse that she was carrying with her and like they just describe how the line was originally my satchel when she realizes that she doesn't have it and then the prince is like wait right there i'll go get it and they're like we had to cut that because we couldn't say it without laughing and then they were like then we i think we said but where's my satchel we changed the line to where's my satchel and we still couldn't do it so then it, it, in the movie is like where's my purse is what she ends up saying but like the, the my satchel quote like it's just the whole commentary is stuff like that my other one of my other favorites they i can't even say things are above the other because it's all amazing is like I guess all the sets had these different, like, almonds for Prince Char. Yeah, all the, the castle sets had these dishes of candied almonds. Yeah, and it was just, like, this weird character study, and they're like, we want everyone in the kingdom to enjoy my almonds! <laughs> like, that Prince Char had his, like, favorite almonds. It's, like, this random detail that, like, you never would notice. <laughs> Um, there's just so many quotable moments and like by all of them, all three of them really have great (laughs) hysterical little one-liners. Yeah, I was struggling to come up with a quote to use at the end of last episode because I was like, all the good quotes are in the commentary. Yeah, because the my satchel thing in particular, I feel like I can't hear the word satchel without thinking of that. And sometimes I just think of it randomly. (laughs) Just like, my satchel. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and I also think one of the things that we have not yet talked about that I think the commentary does a good job of highlighting too is that I love the costuming for mm-hmm. that movie. I think that the costuming is perfect and they do a great job of talking about the different costumes and you notice that characters have like signature colors, which I'm always, I don't know, I always really like that in movies yeah. when characters have signature colors. I think it's fun and I I like the what that does visually is kind of like builds like a recognition for a certain character and seeing what color they're wearing but like I think it's cool like the characters have signature colors I think the costumes are beautiful and well done and the commentary does a good job of pointing out when that's the case I think that 
Ella Enchanted is such a weird world and like you hear about all the different weird ways that this weird world was created together but I do think it works surprisingly well like all told you know having these like kind of 70s 80s musical influences with kind of this like modern sensibility in the humor with like costumes that kind of blended old and new with the signature colors like something whimsical that pops like it all kind of like doesn't make sense in a way that makes sense yeah i think that the world is kind of similar to the world of shrek in a way like i think shrek has a lot of those like it's like sort of a medieval world but also there's a lot of modern jokes and i think hercules kind of does that too of like being like set in the past but also with these very modern jokes and i think that was just like a really big thing in like the late 90s early 2000s to kind of make that sort of world and they really ran with it in ella enchanted i think they really just leaned into like we're going to make this weird and yeah it works so much better than you would think it would on paper if just like yeah so it's like kind of medieval castle fairy tale but also modern but also like from a few decades ago and we're just gonna throw all those things together and it yeah it just really works and i do agree that the costuming really helps with that because the costumes are like sort of whimsical but also like very focused on like the characters and like ella's are a lot more practical than like the stepsisters have like the most ridiculous costumes especially at the end shout out to hattie's ring in the ball scene it is like her ring is like as big as her hand it is so ridiculous and so it's just perfect and i mean i love the the fairies like especially like lucinda like has a very i would say modern like it's a very costumey like think like sexy fairy at halloween outfit but it's like nope it works let's go for it and i think also having heidi klum in the movie (laughs) helps with its fashion appeal heidi klum is a giant i wonder if they consulted her (laughs) like she was a costume consultant too i also have to say that we have not talked at all about carrie elway yeah oh yeah and I love his performance. We're talking about performances. He is clearly having a marvelous time. And I also love kind of the meta connection to Princess Bride. Because I do also think that there are some elements of like, it's like almost like a more modern frenetic world than Princess Bride is. But there's like, I think they serve as like similar kinds of movies, at least on paper. Yeah, it does have kind of a similar tone to that. It doesn't have nearly as witty of dialogue as Princess Bride, but it definitely has like a similar like world feel. Yeah, I definitely see Like you could imagine some of the characters interacting. So I think it's very, there's a fun parallel that like he's sort of in the story as more the Humperdinck character than you know being the romantic lead ultimately that he is in princess bride and he he was like just he's so good like especially because like as his character progresses like earlier in the movie he's just sort of like vaguely menacing and by the end he's like completely like maniacal laughing just like going completely overboard with like i've just completely lost my mind 
And he does that so well. Like, and that's, you can tell that's a choice that he made as an actor right. because you could have very easily played all of that very flat and probably not gotten the effect. Like you get that from his performance is what really gives you that story. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love the scene when, when he, like after Hattie has told him that Ella has to do whatever she's told and he's like making her do the hokey pokey and all this stuff, but he's doing the most ridiculous dance in the background and it's like you're trying to make her look silly but you look way sillier and it's so good yeah like just the, the gleeful evil of of it all yeah it's it's really it's fantastic acting i'm telling like up up down anywhere you look in this movie well acted yeah 100 percent of the time and then he has a snake sidekick which is very like reminiscent of a lot of disney villains which is part of why I always think this movie is Disney, but it's not Disney. But I think that they did a really good job with that snake. I guess originally they were going to have like an animatronic puppet and they just couldn't get it to work. So they ended up... Can you imagine how silly that would have looked? <laughs> like, I think it, them talking about their their pathway to arriving at the conclusion that this snake had to be CGI is very funny in the commentary. Yes, yes, because it's like, um, yeah, no, that wouldn't have worked. So they ended up with a CGI snake and I think they it, it looks good. I it's think very well done. Yeah. It's fantastic. And I think the, the actor, I mean, it's mostly a voice performance, but the actor is very good with um, Heston as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, and that really adds to Carrie Elwes' character. What is his name? Edgar? Edgar, who is the evil uncle. Sorry if we haven't said that yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he is the king who is the uncle of Prince Charmant, who is Hugh Dancy. And I think, like, the uncle killed the father. It's yes. Like a little, little Hamlet It's kind moment. of a, a criticism. It's kind of thrown together. <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess he killed the father. Like, I want to see him killing the father. <laughs> I want to see the blood on his hands. And then he's trying to kill Char also. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure. It's kind of Lion King action, like... Because Char was going to be coronated, Yes. Yeah, so I guess he was like kind of a regent ruler because yeah. the dad had been killed. And and the dad was much more, the king was much more tolerant of other life groups like ogres and elves. And then Edgar becoming the king, he made a lot of these like species uh, segregationist policies. So yeah, we're, it's presumed that with Ella next to the throne and with Char being a much more morally upright person that with Edgar's passing and his coronation, things went right in Frell yes. or Lamia or whatever the kingdom's name is. Because Ella's from Frell and Lamia's where the castle is. I don't know what the whole yeah. kingdom is called. Well, Andalasia. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. It's also really interesting how they decided that like the people from Lamia would have English accents and the people from Frell would have American accents and then they cast like mainly American people to be the Lamia people and mainly British people to be the Frell people. It so, was chaotic what so, was going on. Yeah, so accents. people had to do different accents. I mean, not entirely because like Hugh Dancy is actually English and had his normal accent. Anne Hathaway had her normal accent, but like just like Minnie Driver had to do an American accent. And but, that one notable fairy who has that bit part does like a New York accent yeah. in, in Lamia, but she was like Irish. Irish. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And the person who plays Ella's mom was actually British or Irish or something. And Finding her would be something <laughs> terrible. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah, so, so many good lines. There's some there's some very strange accents going on, but it's fine. It works. It, also, Parmenter Nagra is there. Oh, yeah. We, and she is honestly not one of the more memorable performances, but she does a really good job. It's really upsetting. Like, that's like one criticism that I have. I would really like to have seen another scene with Parminder Nagra's character at the end. Like it's really stuck in there. Yeah. Like the resolution of that storyline with like like it you can tell they like there was probably some scheduling problem of like her filming ER or something because like it is weird. Like Arita is Ella's best friend and like they set up their characters and Ella actually like really like screws her over because of the curse. Yeah, it's a heartbreaking scene. It's a really sad scene and then I think that for whatever reason they couldn't film any better resolution to that story other than like she just comes to the wedding and like there's a cutaway scene where she's waving to the carriage and just goes good luck Ella (laughs) and you know she was waving at nothing (laughs) and yeah like there's no way those women were in the same room when that happened yeah I mean she is in the room at the wedding like with her and they because she's part of the don't go break yeah but like I that could have been filmed in post to (laughs) that that cutaway shot um Yeah, so I think they really needed a scene where Ella explained what had happened. And, like, you assume that they were, you know, they healed the friendship and they were in a good place, but, like, they never said that. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I get that they put that in there to show just, like, how bad, because that kind of was what pushed Ella over the edge of, like, I guess I just have to live with this curse to being like, no, I need to get rid of this because her stepmother made her tell her best friend, like, I could never be friends with you and you suck, go away, basically. And Yeah, I really, I think if it was a better script or like a better story, like the movie version, I don't really remember like how it happened in the book, but for the movie world that was created, I think involving Arita in some of the machinations at the end to like take down Edgar would have really fixed a lot of the like narrative hole yeah. that is left with that storyline like just to have Arita like give her some marginal role even where like she's for some reason there and can like help them do one thing like in the sequence to take down Edgar like just plug her in somewhere and I think that would have been really nice to like have like her helping the cause and like reestablishing their relationship and then, like, then maybe you don't really need a final scene between them. You can just kind of use what you have at the end and be like, yeah, they figured it out. Yeah, I agree. That definitely would have been a really good way to do it. But I, I mean, know. they have Heidi Klum in yeah. the end part. like Yeah, yeah, because she and Slannon have Yeah, a they get together, which is, there's a lot of questions <laughs> I have, but it's fine. Yeah, but I think that that's really... I mean, no offense to the writers, but I think there were like five writers on this movie and like, I don't know that they had a cohesive idea of what they were going to do with it. I think it was kind of like, okay, there's this really popular book and this really popular actress that we can write a thing for. And doing movies like this is very popular. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, this is, this is the time to do this like sort of modernized, but not fairy tale type thing. And we're just gonna throw it together and hope for the best. And I think that it does work a lot better than it had any right to on paper based on the dialogue and the script. 
And they talk about that a little bit in the commentary. They're, like, very gracious about it, but there's certain moments where they're like, yeah, I never really liked this line, or, like, I never really felt like I said this I right. I think they're pretty upfront <laughs> with saying the lines that they had issues with saying. Yeah, but they're not they're not going to say, like, oh, this whole script was trash. Like, Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, in fairness, there's a couple funny, like, my tongue itches is funny. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, there's some good lines in the actual script, but I think overall that's really the weak point and just like the fact that they were able to get these amazing actors and some of them are like super famous others i like haven't really seen in anything else eric idol is in the movie also. oh i forgot about him <laughs> see like you just keep thinking of people there's a lot of performances yeah yeah and i think that they all just showed up and were like we're gonna have fun we're gonna make this movie and it just really comes together in a very entertaining way I do think also what helps is that the characters they're playing are all kind of archetypes. What talented actors are able to do, they're able to take these archetypal characters and sort of have an interpretation of them kind of ready to go. And so I'm I'm also kind of thinking like, that's these are just good professional actors that like, these are not like tough characters. They're just like, they're ones that you can really like, sink into and like get they're they're like really meaty roles that like a good actor will know what to do with yeah yeah i agree with that that's a good way of putting it so yeah so it's just it's just fun entertainment but again it just becomes like so much more fun and entertaining when you have the commentary on and you just hear them chatting with each other about their memories of making this movie and the good and the bad and the ugly (laughs) and if you like podcasts i imagine you'll like the commentary because it really does i think feel like you're just sitting around the table with friends or sitting on the couch watching the movie with you know the friends or like people that were making the movie like it's a a really good aura that the commentary has i feel like in again in thinking about like what does the commentary have that other commentaries don't like i think a lot of other commentaries are very cold and very like stale almost and like they come in for these very like discreet parts and they'll say i did want to mention when we were watching this that this blah 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 and then they'll stop and they'll go back to the movie like this is just this continual Mm -hmm. conversation that goes throughout the movie pretty much Yeah, I think a lot of times, especially when the commentary just has the director, they can get very technical with, like, just saying, like, explaining how each shot was set up. And just, like, I mean, some of that is very interesting, but I think it almost feels like you're, like, going to film school or something, or, like, you're sitting in a lecture. And I definitely tend to prefer the ones that have multiple people and... Especially, like, I mean, I don't want to say, like, we only care about the actors, but I think actors know how to perform better than directors do a lot of the time, and so they know how to be entertaining. I would say Ellen Enchanted is, like, far and away my favorite, but there's a few others. Like, I talked about the Mary Poppins one, and I think that one is really fun for different reasons because they're looking back with, like, 40 years of distance But it's the same sort of thing of, like, they're interacting with each other and reminiscing together. And I think that's a lot more interesting than just hearing one person sort of 
give you a lecture about how this movie came together. Well, yeah, and what the actors do, and I mean, that's what they are when you're watching the movie, they are the audience's perspective, like, into the world of the movie. And and so I think that you, you feel like you know actors in a way that you don't feel like you know directors or people that are not on camera. And so, yeah, I think they're very practiced at bringing that perspective to an audience and sort of serving as that messenger or the gateway that an audience has to a story. And then I think to Tommy O'Haver's credit, I think he's very charismatic. (laughs) So you feel like you know him or you like get to know him throughout the course of the commentary. There's many directors whose commentary I've seen that like, I didn't really get a sense of who they were as people, but I feel like you you get to know Tommy O'Haver and you like him. Yeah, I think that he like definitely takes his work seriously but I think he doesn't think too highly of himself I think a lot of directors have really big egos which I think to a certain extent you have to for that job because you have to be in charge and you have to like get people to listen to you and so you have to think relatively highly of yourself otherwise you're going to be like well or or not or you whatever and you you can't do that when you're a director but I think that that with with Tommy O'Haver he's like he wants people to have fun on his sets I think and he's like very proud of his work on this movie clearly but he's also like very gracious to the stars that he's talking to and like very quick to point out when they did a good job which I think they're more hesitant to do like they don't want to toot their own horns as much and so he's like very much like saying wow you guys were really great to work with and you did such a good job too and like that they were exactly what he wanted for this movie and I think that really helps make the commentary just seem a lot more fun too is that he's not being like I made this movie and I was so great it was like thank you guys for doing such a good job and all of that so I really like that yeah he's a he seems like I would I would be an actor or like work on a movie that he was a director for I feel like he would be a good person to work with and yeah I do it's interesting that you know that they the actors do I feel like have a hard time like tooting their own horn and like one of the main things that I feel like Anne Hathaway is comfortable like talking about is like her physical appearance and like she's she'll be like oh my extensions look so good at that point and I do feel like that's something that like you think about like the Harvey Weinstein of it all and like just a lot of some of the really like dark things about Hollywood and like how sad that is that like that's what she felt like, you know, those were some of the ways that she could like step into her own and like talk positively about herself. And then you think about like all the other things that were going on, like in the industry at large. I also think it's really great to hear like a man complimenting like the female star of the movie who was like indisputably the star of the movie. And yeah, again, another good example of like, female-led projects, like they're, this idea that they're not as successful. It's like, here is another, like, I, that's something I love about this movie, that it is a female-led movie, that it's like, yeah, Anne Hathaway is perfectly capable of carrying a movie on her own shoulders. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, that, like, the director doesn't, at any point that I recall in the commentary, maybe he says, like, 
I because I I do think like Anne Hathaway does compliment her own appearance. She all, is also very critical of it. Well, and and that's also true too. I mean, just I think of, I, that's sort of where I was going too in tying in yeah. like some of the larger cultural things. She is very critical of her appearance at times too. What, one of my favorite parts though is when she's like watching herself perform and she's like cringing and they're like, "What are you?" And she, she's like, "Oh, it was just a tooth." Thing. Well, they're in the middle of complimenting the lighting in the scene <laughs> and they're just like, "Oh, this lighting is so beautiful and it is really beautiful." It's like flickering flames that of course were like done digitally but it looks very real and they're complimenting it and then Anne Hathaway just goes and then then she's like sorry it was a tooth thing yeah but I think that what I was gonna say is like I don't remember at any point I don't think he ever really talks about her appearance other than to say like oh you look fine when she's criticizing herself I think that he's way more focused on her work and her her performance and like how dedicated she was and like she was in basically every scene and that she had to work really hard and he really gives her a lot of credit for that and I think that's like you were saying a big problem in Hollywood is that a lot of actresses like you focus more on their appearance and what they're wearing and all this stuff and I think it was really great to see a male director recognizing that his female star really put in a lot of work and did a lot of stuff besides just like looking pretty in this movie. And that's, yeah, it's really great to hear that, especially on a movie that was produced by Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very true. And I just, I think we've already spoken a little bit about this, but like Anne Hathaway is I just such a treasure, I think. Like, and it's been very interesting. And like I, I mentioned her in the same sentence with like Jennifer Lawrence and Emma Stone earlier in this conversation. And like just thinking about like what Anne Hathaway's trajectory has been and then what those actresses' trajectories have been, where I think there there was, you know, generally good favor around Anne Hathaway for a long time, and then like all of a sudden, kind of around the time of her Oscar win people kind of soured on her and felt that she really was sort of distasteful. And then just like having her image kind of come back around from there. And now I think she has a very like, you know, people have a lot of like nostalgic affection for her being in all of these beloved classics like Princess Diaries and um, Devil Wears Prada and uh, Ella Enchanted. Um, but then she's also, you know, an Oscar winner and like taken very seriously. Like, I think she's kind of reached that like, you know, prime part of her career where she's been through all of these things. And we've seen actresses like Emma Stone and Jennifer Lawrence kind of on a delayed timeline go through some of these same things. Like, I just think that Anne Hathaway, I, I really have a lot of respect and appreciation for all of the things that she's weathered being a young woman in Hollywood and having to kind of that she was in these beloved projects she's had periods of being very well loved periods of being kind of hated and has sort of weathered the storms and has continued to to work and deliver really phenomenal performances I just I think she's such a gift and I'm glad that she's still out there kicking ass and making amazing movies like I love Ocean's 8 that's fairly recent and I think that she still has some very exciting career moves left I'm I can't wait to see her as she continues yeah and I think it's really interesting because she was getting a lot of hate for a while for like no really good reason like I don't feel like anyone could point to like something horrible that she said or did like maybe she like said something that was maybe a little bit questionable but like 
I think now people are coming around to being more like, you know, she was never actually terrible. People were just mad at her for being a successful woman. Like, because, I mean, some people, like, they said something super racist or something or, like, that was interpreted in a bad way. But I don't even know that anyone's been able to point to something like that. I think probably the thing that I heard or that, that's that been on in the news cycle was the witches movie that she was in and sort of depicting people with limb differences as, like, witches and... There was some backlash to the way that the witches were portrayed and how that looked similarly to people with limb differences. And it sort of othered people with limb differences, or at least this was some criticism of that movie. And I thought that Anne Hathaway had a really, um, I was impressed with the apology that she offered. And she made, I thought, a really powerful, well thought out statement that just said, I didn't really do my homework fully here, and this is upsetting because I upset people that I did not want to upset, and it owned the mistake and just, you know, said that she would be more careful moving forward. And, you know, like, I just think that's something that I appreciate someone that can stand up and apologize when they did something not fully thought out. Yeah. Well, and I don't remember hearing anything about that, but like The Witches was based on a novel by Roald Dahl, whose prejudices are well known at this Exactly. Point. So I, I think it's, I, I don't think that Anne Hathaway should be held accountable for like production decisions that were probably outside of her control, yeah. but she still did take yeah. accountability. And I thought in a way that I appreciated the thoughtfulness of the statement I ended up reading. Yeah, I think that she's always been very good about responding to things, which like maybe she just has a really good PR team, but like she definitely always knows how to like stand up for herself when she needs to, but then also, you know, not just double down when she makes mistakes. And I think that's really great. I know she was like a really big advocate for legalizing gay marriage and things like that. Like she's really been somewhat of a, an activist in terms of issues that she really cares about, which I think is great. She's just a really, seems like a really good role model to be a movie star. I mean, obviously she's not perfect, I don't think that anyone has a right to expect her to be perfect. But I did really appreciate that, like, when Ocean's 8 came out and everybody was like, wow, Anne Hathaway is, like, the best part of this movie that is a great movie and has a lot of great parts. And then some people were like, um, yeah, she's the best part of every movie she's in. Why is it taking you this long to notice? <laughs> like, people kind of coming back around to being like, yeah, she's always been good. Why did we hate her? <laughs> well, and I think it's fa fabulous because in that movie, she plays an actress who you kind of think is going to be like obnoxious and not really that great. And then she ends up being like essential to the con. And yes, I love that. And like, I kind of wish that they had done something like that in Ellen Enchanted with Parminda Nagra's character. Right. <laughs> like that's what they needed to do is like bring her back and have her be like, yeah, okay, you really hurt me, but now I'm going to help you kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And I mean, I guess... I do feel like you tend to have things for actors and actresses that are older. You know, I think of a lot of your actor obsessions being, you know, people from a bygone era that were dead before you were born. Mm -hmm. I feel like Anne Hathaway has been an actress that's sort of we've grown up with, that we've sort of seen come of age. We remember a time before Anne Hathaway and saw her rise. 
lives Mm -hmm. that you've really enjoyed and I think have looked at as like I would say I think you're a particular fan of Anne Hathaway and like I I think that that's that's interesting and I'm curious you've probably already described many of the things that maybe have drawn you to her more so than like other actors of her generation yeah I would definitely I mean I'm sure there's bigger Anne Hathaway fans than me I'm not like her number one fan or anything but definitely she's one of the actors that I've been more of a fan of and like she's less than 10 years older than me so she's like pretty close to my generation and I think that a lot of it is that like she's an old Hollywood fan like she has a lot of those sensibilities of like the old Hollywood actors and I think that that is something that I've picked up on even without like that consciously being why I like her but I do think that that has helped that like she is definitely very modern but in a way that takes things I liked about the older Hollywood style like I think she probably would say that she's more of a method actor and a lot of the actors I like are kind of before that became the norm but like I think she's still very much the like get up there say the lines and think about that rather than just being like I'm going to fully embody this character which is something that kind of irritates me about actors sometimes is being like I'm just becoming this person now is like I think she she's got that sort of line between herself and her characters that a lot of the like more like modern stars I mean I'm I know there's modern actors who are great but I think the like movie star leading role people kind of rub me the wrong way sometimes but like I think that she has similarities to like the old Hollywood stars that I'm a fan of and sort of bridges that gap into the modern era if that makes any sense I truly don't know if I'm explaining I think that's all really interesting and I think makes a lot of sense I think that's a cool observation and I'm just thinking tying it back to Ella Enchanted I was thinking the last time I watched it specifically I was like what is different about Ella from Princess Mia like where where are the lines there and I'm in truth I think that there's a lot that's similar about Princess Mia and about Ella and like I think that yeah that makes a lot of sense because I know that you really love like Cary Grant for example who I think Cary Grant has range and has performances that it's very transformative between roles but he does have a brand and Mm -hmm. he has a style and like a lot of movies it's like here's like a specific character like this one's a scientist this one's a teacher this one's a a that and we're just gonna do the Cary Grant version of like that profession or Mm -hmm. like that like we're gonna give him a few boundaries to work with that are like character defining traits but then he's gonna bring the Cary Grant brand to it and I feel like that's almost what the transition from Princess Mia to Ella Enchanted is is it's like we're going to change the the formation of these characters in a little bit of different ways. And like, I, I noticed like the princess Mia Lily friendship is kind of flipped in Ella enchanted and like Arita is much more like Mia and Ella is much more like Lily in that dynamic. 
and like that the fact that they're activists and like going to like protests and stuff I feel like kind of mirrors each other but it's very much Anne Hathaway bringing the Anne Hathaway brand to each of those characters and like they're both very Anne Hathaway like you get her as a star you get the brand of her you get the identity of her while she's in kind of just these different formations of like that protagonist character that leads the movie one way or the other yeah I think it's like there's certain movie stars who just like always play the same character and it's like okay that's that actor that's that actor that's that actor and it gets a little bit redundant and then there's other actors who are like very much blend into their roles which if it's done well I think that that's really good and I really appreciate that like I like Meryl Streep and like those kind of like really good but I think there's some actors who are like I'm just going to be completely different in this movie and it just like doesn't quite gel with me I guess I don't know but like I think my favorite kind of actors tend to be the ones where like you can always tell it's them but they're doing different things and like they're very versatile within their wheelhouse like it's not they're doing the same thing every time but at the same time like they bring themselves to it and I think that 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 Anne Hathaway is very much like that because obviously like playing Fontaine in Les Mis is very different from playing Ella in Ella Enchanted like they're completely different characters and I'm not saying like oh yeah but it was just Anne Hathaway doing that like she's a good actress but I guess I just, I feel like I get her persona a little bit more. And like, I, I don't want to say it like I'm trying to like insult any actors, but I just think that I tend to resonate with the ones that are more in the style of the old Hollywood people who were like themselves, like you were saying, bringing Cary Grant brand to different characters. And I think Anne Hathaway has a very strong star personality and I think that that really comes out in the Ella Enchanted commentary and I think that it's very telling that that was like so early in her career because it was only a few years after Princess Diaries but she was already like this is me this is who I am I'm a fully formed person and I'm not gonna let Hollywood mess me up too much I think because I think a lot of people fame can really go to their head and I think that, I mean, there's no way for it not to a little bit, but I feel like at least the way she comes across, I'm not claiming to know her, but I feel like Anne Hathaway has seems to have kept her integrity throughout the fame. And I really respect that. And it's been really fun to see that like through the ups and downs of her career so far. And I'm sure there's much more to come from her. She's not that old. So I'm sure she'll be right. right. No, we're, it's not. This is not a memorial of Anne Hathaway. But yeah, I think that makes sense. It's interesting to hear what's really attractive about her from your perspective, because I, I think that does make a lot of sense. And I really do kind of see her as someone and that, that just kind of feels right, you know, in thinking about Anne Hathaway as someone who's sort of is in the older school of, you know, being that type of star. And I really do think that that's some of her best strengths as an actor and that she's she's immediately someone familiar. Like she we've grown up with her on screen in various roles. And like, I think that that is something that a lot of those older actors really bring to like a sense of familiarity and that allows you to really get into the story because they have such potent brands and their brands are not necessarily like I'm a completely different person in everything I'm in like I'm almost like 
Meryl Streep is an actress who people talk about as being very transformative. I almost think like Nicole Kidman is kind of that actress of just like Satine is the same person as Virginia Woolf. Like <laughs> yeah. she's someone to me that I'm like Nicole Kidman could be anybody. Like yeah, or like <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, yeah. I, um, additional and people. like no offense to them. Like I think they're amazingly talented, mm-hmm. and I I think what you're describing is like actors that maybe don't have the ability to be that transformed or just like are overcommitted to the process to the point where it's just like an excuse to be mean to people like Jared Leto. Oh, yeah. Everybody <laughs> who's played the Joker has been like, uh. I'm going to use this to be mean to people. So yeah, there are definitely actors who do that really well and like all power to them, tons of respect. But I think that there's some actors that just try to do stuff throughout their career that I'm just sort of like, that's fine, but I don't really like, love that as much and i think that in the princess diaries 2 commentary and hathaway talks quite a bit about old movies that she likes and i think that that is sort of what has given me the impression of like oh that's why i like her because she also is taking from these old movies and i think that a lot of the more modern actors who i like have something in common with the old hollywood style of acting is this the first Anne Hathaway movie on the podcast? I think so. Oh. I think it's only this and, and Princess Okay, Hathaway. that makes sense that I haven't really heard your <laughs> thoughts about Anne Hathaway on the podcast yet. Another comment that I wanted to make about Anne Hathaway's performance style, I actually see a lot of similarities to Ginger Rogers and like how you were describing Ginger Rogers was like at least perceived by Catherine Hepburn at like the time of stage door. I, I can see some similarities in like how they they came across, and I think Anne Hathaway is less known for her dancing, but just the you know the really like competent professional model that can deliver really versatile performances and kind of has a few like tricks, and it's not just the acting; it's also the singing or also the dancing or both. I I see I see there being something sort of similar between the two of them. Yeah, and just like that people wanted to work with them because mm-hmm. I think that was part of Katherine Hepburn's issues earlier in her career is that she was very difficult to work with, which like <laughs> I understand like I can't she, imagine Katherine right? Hepburn being difficult. That's she, why she's the perfect Susan Vance. <laughs> <laughs> she was like like I mean obviously I feel like even now women are not treated very well in Hollywood and back then it was very bad in a lot of ways and so like I can't really fault her for like standing up for herself and that got you labeled as difficult so I think some of it was that but I think also just like I think Ginger Rogers would have been willing to be friends with her and she was very much like no we are not friends based on Anne Hathaway's commentary like it seems like she was very gracious towards everybody she was working with and like I mean maybe there's people out there who've worked with Anne Hathaway who were like oh no she was horrible but I don't think I've heard any stories about her actually being hard to work with whereas like some stars like I just off the top of my head Christian Bale comes to mind of like crew members being like he just always yells at us and stuff like that And I think that, like, easy to work with for actresses can be code for just, like, very compliant and never standing up for themselves. And I don't think that that's what Anne Hathaway is like. But I do think that, yeah, she's more of a Ginger Rogers than a Katharine Hepburn in terms of, like, people want to work with her. So, yeah, I think that's a good good analogy to draw. 
We talk a lot about Anne Hathaway, but I think she deserves it. Yeah, well, I'm I, knowing that this is her debut on your countdown. I, I feel like she's somebody that I think of as a, a modern interest of yours, someone who's still alive that you like and follow to some extent. Yeah, well, there's when I keep track of the movies I watch, there are certain actors who I update every year when I update my spreadsheet of like how many movies I've seen of theirs and how many times and like list out like which movies I've seen which number of times for each of them. And most of the actors I track are from old Hollywood. There's a few more modern ones. Yeah, Anne Hathaway is definitely one of those. And I think that also like being introduced to her along with Julie Andrews, like I wasn't a huge Julie Andrews fan before Princess Diaries. And so I think that like that movie, which I will talk about later, but that really made me really like both of them. And so I kind of think of like me being a fan of Anne starting at the same time as Julie Andrews. And so they kind of like go together in my mind. And I think having this other movie that's kind of similar to Princess Diaries and that she's playing sort of a princessy type character, but different soon after that really helped fuel my interest and like keep my interest in Anne Hathaway after Princess Diaries. Yeah, it's it's honestly beautiful in many ways to think about that pairing for Princess Diaries because I think I'm sure you're not alone in some way in that story of being introduced to both of them at the same time or reintroduced. I think a lot of people probably know The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins at least but yeah, I mean, I think that it's very cool that like, what a great, you know, way to burst onto the Hollywood scene than with a Julie Andrews movie. And yeah, I think it's cool to think of how a lot of people must have become fans of both of them at the same time and must kind of attach to these two very talented women who have both dominated the entertainment industry for quite some time. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's cool to think about that. That's where Anne Hathaway started in a lot of homes. Yeah, you know, and Julie Andrews continues to have a career, but also is more known for being sort of at the end of the classic Hollywood era and that she similarly burst onto the scene with a big role that made her an instant star because that her... was sort of a kids movie too. yeah yeah exactly it was a disney movie and so like to start as the star of a disney movie and then just kind of go from there and julie andrews has also had many ups and downs in her career with people loving her and then not liking her that much and like that has happened to her as well which i think it happens to anybody if you're around long enough <laughs> but yeah, so I think that having that connection to old Hollywood directly also seems more of my jam. And it was fun for me to see somebody closer to my age also talking about liking old movies and things like that. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not alone in being interested in old Hollywood as a younger person who's still alive. And I'm sure that there's a lot of other actors who feel similarly also. Like, I think you kind of have to, if you know your craft, you're going to have seen older movies. But yeah, I think I, she's been open about like, yeah, I, I like Audrey Hepburn and things like that. So I was going to say, she does give me a very Audrey Hepburn type vibe, but like almost like spunkier than <laughs> Audrey Hepburn. 
But Audrey Hepburn was pretty spunky too, so I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't take that away from her. To completely change the subject, <laughs> a matter of normativity, this movie is a love story. How do you feel about <laughs> that? <laughs> yeah, it is definitely a love story. I do think that it's interesting that like Ella does not at any point set out to find love she does fall in love with char definitely but that's not her objective like it's an important part of the story but ultimately like that's not what the story's about like i think it's much more about her curse and trying to break away from her having to be obedient and really her learning to use love as a tool to be the you know, the most, like, actualized, curse-liberated version of herself. I think that that's, like, important, too. Like, she she realizes that love is something that she wants in her life. Like, a romantic love is something that she, she wants. And that that is sort of how she learns to use love as a way to break the curse. Yeah, and I feel like it's never really been an option for her up until that point. Because I think that one of two things would happen. Either she would marry someone who would then, like, completely take advantage of her curse. Yes, that would be very scary for her. Or she would end up really hurting her partner by having to do stuff because someone else told her to. And that kind of almost happens, the second one. Because Char is very kind and understanding and, like, even... There's certain moments in the movie when he, like, says something and she starts to do it. And he's like, that wasn't an order. Like, I'm not trying to make you do stuff you don't want to do. He's very taken aback by her in all ways because he's used to women throwing themselves at him. And so he's very taken aback that Ella doesn't do that at the beginning. And then he's taken aback when she's, like, overly compliant on things that he meant as more, like, suggestions and just, like interpersonal interactions yeah there's a lot of commands and casual conversation we learn through ella enchanted yeah and i think they do a really good job with that and there's this great moment when he says you have to stay and she's like okay i'll stay and he's like well no you don't have to stay and she's like okay and she like starts to leave he's like but i would like you to stay and then she does and i think that she really appreciates that he wants to give her her own agency when she's never been able to have that but then of course Edgar manipulates it and tries to get her to kill Char. And I think that that is part of why she was like, it's not good that I'm in love with him because she knew something that could happen. I don't think she anticipated it happening quite like that or quite that soon. So I think it's very strong of her to allow herself to fall in love with Char and then to be able to overcome the curse, fully break it, rather than killing him and side note another of my favorite parts of the commentary is when uh she says i do love you char and then she raises the knife because she's like being forced to and in the commentary the director goes i'm just not in love with you (laughs) it's like that's what you do you kill them when you say that Um, it's iconic it's great but anyway she is in love with him and yeah so i think that Again, a lot of what I'm learning through this project is a lot of my favorite love stories are the ones where, like, falling in love is not the path that they were supposed to go on. 
like with Sound of Music. Like she wants to be a nun. She's not supposed to fall in love with anyone. And then she does. And I think that often with amatonormativity, the path is like you are going to fall in love and get married and have kids. And for Ella, that's not her path at all initially. And so I think I really enjoy stories where people are forging their own path and not doing what society or other people around them tell them to do, which is especially poignant in this movie because she literally has to do what everybody tells her to do for most of the story. And so I think that like, because there are all these things about like why not only should she not end up with Char, she shouldn't end up with anybody. And so I think seeing like, but she wants to and she makes that happen for herself is more powerful than a lot of the like typical romantic stories where it's like maybe these two people are pulled apart by various forces but like they're gonna find someone and marry someone that's less interesting to me than stories like this that's interesting but again it's like there is the romantic element of it but there's so much more going on mm -hmm. and it's so much more about ella finding herself and finding her own voice when she's being constantly talked over and drowned out. And I think that that's, that's what I like about the story. And like the love story is incidental. But I do think that it's good that Char is so much kinder to her than most of the other people she encounters besides Slannon, I guess. Other than the romantic relationship, what are your favorite relationships in Ella Enchanted? Ooh, that's a good question. Edgar and his snake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that's a good one. I honestly think I might like the Ella and Mandy relationship. Oh, yeah. I know it's not emphasized much, but you can just tell that they have a good rapport. I, I guess I like Minnie Driver and Anne Hathaway in scenes together. They seem to really have a good chemistry. But yeah, I, I like... I like that bond. I think that the stepsister bond is funny and interesting. One of my least favorite relationships is the relationship between the father and Ella. Like, he is so weird. Like, because he does, you get the sense he cares about her and is, like, mildly intelligent. He's just, like, distant, like, absent, like, always on, on the road. So he can't, like be involved in the home situation but like he's kind of a little weird yeah he, well he's very underdeveloped and i also think it's very interesting how like it takes him a really long time to notice that she's gone <laughs> and you just see like this one random scene where he's like talking to the stepmother and where's ella and she's just like oh she's off with hattie and olive it's fine and it's like she's been gone for many days at this <laughs> point like did you just notice that she she's left taking a tour of the castle <laughs> Hattie and Olive. Um, <laughs> Joanna Lumley um, just is very, very funny. It's honestly the main performance of hers that I think of. I feel like this is very embarrassing. I know she's in lots of other things, but I mainly think of Joanna Lumley as an Ella Enchanted actress. <laughs> I mean, I feel like most of the people in this movie, there's like two different levels of people. It's like either, oh yeah, from Ella Enchanted, or like they were in Ella Enchanted. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> there are two choices. Yeah. Except for, like, Anne Hathaway, obviously. It was like, <laughs> I know she's an Ella Enchanted, but I don't automatically think of Ella Enchanted. But, like, Hugh Dancy, he's just so ingrained. He's in, Prince Char. And Ella Enchanted for me. And I think that, like, obviously, Anne Hathaway is the main star of this movie, but 
Hugh Dancy does a great job, and I think he does a good job also of, like, stepping back and letting her be the lead of the movie. Yeah, he's really fantastic, and I like the character of Char, and it's all a yes for me on, yeah. on the Prince Char front. And yeah. I think, like, their relationship feels very earned throughout the movie, and I agree, you know, I think that it's like, ugh, does every movie have to have a romance? Like, there is a, a quality of, like, this probably didn't need to be there, but it is. Mm-hmm. But I think it's an earned relationship. I think you can see how they're both willing to be supportive of each other. I think you can see how they're helping each other grow. I think that Ella really does challenge Char's complacency in his privilege. And I think that, I don't know, what does Char really do for Ella? He um he saves her yeah oh yes he does save her from the ogres i think that she does view the world in a really adversarial terms because she has to to like protect herself and i think that he kind of helps her bring down her walls a little bit i think you see that throughout the course of the movie so yeah i think they're both like really enriching each other's lives in a way that is nice and they have good chemistry i feel like i would watch the hugh dancy Anne hathaway rom-com in the future like (laughs) I, i would see them paired up in another movie yeah i think that that one objection that i tend to have for a lot of especially rom-coms but romantic movies in general is that a lot of times i feel like the relationship between the leads is actually kind of toxic if you think about it yes, and like one of true. them is stalking the other like something really creepy is happening that like you're supposed to think is cute and i don't feel like we get that with that enchanted one i feel like they have a really good organic falling in love and also like with a lot of cinderella adaptations i feel like the prince is usually very underdeveloped as a character and it's we talked about this when we watched all the disney movies like it's probably one of the biggest flaws in the disney cinderella which is sort of a standard classic interpretation of cinderella i think there's other versions of cinderella that improve on it a little bit but there's frankly many that follow in the same footsteps of having kind of an anonymous prince yeah and like on the one hand that's fine because it's cinderella's story but on the other hand i'm like this is very much Ella's story, but I feel like we understand who Char is and he's very well developed and their relationship is very well developed. Like they have many scenes together at first, like she really doesn't like him. It's a trope that happens in many romantic films of like initially one of them is like, ugh, I hate you. And then they get together eventually. But I think it's very gradual and just feels very organic and it makes sense. And so, yeah, I... I am in favor of their romance. Like, I. Well, and he's also not looking at Ella as a conquest, even though it's very clearly established when they meet that, like, she's not into him and he is sort of, like, allured by that because he's very used to, like, running from a screaming horde of fans. And so, like, you can tell that he's both, like, this is of interest to him, that Ella has resistance to him because it's unusual, but it's not, like, there's a very easy way to make that character very toxic then and to say, like, Ooh, I'm going to conquest this. And I don't think that that's how he feels about her. And it's really, they don't cross paths again until he's saving her life from the ogre. So there's like a very good, like high stakes reason for him to intervene in her life at that time. Like there's not like a creepy, like I'm going to get that girl who resisted me. Well, and he doesn't know the full story of what she's doing because she's not allowed to tell anyone about the curse. But like 
he's willing to help her find her fairy godmother like basically no questions asked and you don't ever get the impression that he's like doing it to like because there's you know the whole friend zone of like i was nice to her and now she's not sleeping with me like you don't get the impression that he's helping her to get in her pants or anything like he really wants to help her yeah there's not really any like subversive stuff that you feel like subversive motivation that he has that you sense he has yeah yeah i think they do a really good job of that of like i think he would be okay with being her friend and advocate well yeah and you get the sense that he wants a peer to like talk to because he can't talk to any other young women because they're too busy like screaming about him yeah like i don't i can't imagine he's having like really deep conversations with a lot of the other people that are in the fan club that are just like showers naked in the shower (laughs) and like just like screaming like literally screaming and like chasing him down like i think if there's anything that la enchanted is a cutting analysis on stan culture because they really (laughs) put the stands out there and say you're blowing your shot by acting this way yeah (laughs) it's not cute (laughs) i think he also he's like tired of being overly sexualized and so the fact that she sees him as a person yeah is really like not just a turn on for him like obviously that's part of it and like he falls in love with her partly because she is not screaming at him but i think like just they're able to get to know each other person to person and that's really what you feel like they're falling in love is is like now that i know you as a person i really have this deep connection with you and i think they have some great scenes together that really show that So, again, I like that the romance isn't the main part, but I also really like the way they do the romance in this movie. So I think it gets a pass from me of being, like, this is a good romance movie. The Jane Ace Ace star. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It could be Arrow Ace and still appreciate the relationship. The Arrow Ace sealed romance. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, and I do think that there's other good relationships. I really wish that the Ella-Areta relationship was better developed because I would really like to have that strong female friendship because, again, there's it is a female-driven story, but the secondary characters that are more developed tend to be male characters like Slannon mm-hmm. and the Ogre-nish. Edgar. Edgar, yeah. Whereas, like you have like the stepmother and the stepsisters who are great and then and and mini driver mandy, you yeah have mandy but i would love to see more from them and lucinda yeah but lucinda is i think every and there could be more diversity in the cast too that's also a critique yeah, always but at least they're not all white it's true <laughs> there is some diversity <laughs> minimal diversity <laughs> but yeah yeah absolutely more diversity would love to see uh like because everybody kind of not everybody but some of the other characters get paired up because you have that random like slannon and heidi klum thing it's like he could have found a man to be with like we could have some queer pairings here i mean it's fine i think that like i do enjoy this movie on its own i don't feel like it would have made it into the top 40 without the commentary. Well, yeah, and I think I think it's probably, like, a less polished version of, like, Mamma Mia in the sense of, like, I imagine, like, you would watch this movie for similar reasons that you would watch something like Mamma Mia, and maybe Mamma Mia is just, like, a little bit sharper of a movie. Mm-hmm. Although it is also, I think, in the same, like, it's kind of stupid at times and like embraces being stupid. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, it's like, it's a random musical for no real reason. It's fun. And so I feel like that's why it's also easy to watch the commentary because that just like makes it more fun. Right. And so, you know, I think I agree. I don't know that this is like the best movie on its own, but I think the combination of it being a lot of fun, having fun commentary, sort of striking some of the same balance of like Mamma Mia and other movies that have ended up high in your countdown. Yeah. That could be what it is. It's just it's just the right cocktail of all of those things. Yeah. Well, I think like it's very chaotic and eclectic, but ultimately like everybody was making the same movie. And I think that really helps that like, yes, there's all these different pieces and all these different things going on, which I guess is kind of what makes it feel a bit more old movie-ish that there's like this very convoluted like plot of several different characters doing things. But yeah, everybody, I feel like everybody's on the same page. Everybody knew what movie they were making. They knew it was kind of silly and not really that like amazing. And they were all just okay with that. And I think that really makes it work a lot better than it would have if people were like, yeah, this is whatever, a trashy movie, we're just gonna get paid. And I feel like everybody was just like, we're gonna show up, we're gonna have a good time. And yeah, I think that that really comes across to the audience. And that's what makes it an enjoyable movie, despite not being a great movie. Yeah. Sounds like the right recipe to end up on your countdown. Yes, exactly. So uh, thank you so much for being here with me and talking for a very long time about this movie that we both love. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I love discussing anything related to Ella Enchanted. Yes, and I'm so glad that you were here to discuss it with me. Thank you to Quinn for all of your insights and questions, and thank you listeners for sticking through my longest episode yet. I hope it was still fun and interesting for you. It certainly was for me. Now that we're in the top half of the list, I feel like I'm going to have more to say about each movie, so they will probably start trending a bit longer, although I'm sure my solo episodes will still be much shorter than this. But before we get back to just me talking, I have one more special guest episode lined up, so stay tuned for another long one next week about a very different type of film. As always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. She may be risking her life, but when it comes to being a lady, she doesn't hold a candle to your wife, sir, sitting in Washington playing bridge with three other ladies of great honor and virtue.